The historical agonizing moments of hysteria, mocking, left negative imprints into my tomorrow morning, triggering constant anxiousness in the moment worrying, worrying about the past is not living for tomorrow. Awakening from historical trauma is moving forward to live today and for tomorrow. Facing tomorrow must be living in the present day. Living at the moment, awakening begins. Feeling the moment, awakening awakens. Awakening allows genuine moments to penetrate. Awakening creates new memories of the present time. Awakening aware of the past. Awakening is in the present. Awakening willing to be there for tomorrow. You have awakened from the past, living in the present, and facing tomorrow. You are well awakened, living your life. Tina Learn. Welcome to the Lost Traveler podcast. I am your ever-loving host, Henry Cameron Allen. And today we have with us a very special guest, Dr. David Bonanno, who is the freshest, the boldest voice in trauma psychology today. Can I get an echo? Um, David, as he permitted me to call him, is uh, a psychologist. He's a PTSD survivor, as I am. And he's been, uh, what, you've, you've helped like 16,000 people in your, in your work of de-adrenalizing, which is a... a revolutionary and rapid going therapy that is healing to to people in their psychological traumas um you're an author as well and i'm really excited to get into this with you because ptsd has been a constant companion and also a a constant conversation amongst people who have experienced or in the midst of their eternal grief journey after a major loss. So anyway, thank you, David, for being here. I'm I'm really excited to, to talk to you about all this because it's juicy stuff. Yeah, thanks so much, Henry Cameron. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. And you're based <laughs> in Connecticut, is that right? That's right. Yeah. Well, art. Uh, just boring. <laughs> oh. I want to go... <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to go somewhere else, but I don't really know yet. And uh, hey, come to, to Spain! Travel. Come to Spain! I've got a four-bedroom house that's just me and my service dog. So, you know, awesome. I do speak Spanish too. Do you really? Now, are you from? Yeah. Are you from Connecticut originally, or? Yes. So born. And yeah. Right. Yeah, I went to school in California for grad school, and then, but after I graduated from undergrad, I went to I toured South America for uh, a while and learned Spanish there. So, yeah, I'd love to be able to uh, like speak in other countries, that's for sure, and including the billion people in Latin America. And you know, it's really kind of funny. Is like I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's a therapist in Mexico, and he said that when people think about PTSD, they think about American. Uh, combat veterans right and i mean it's such an indelible stereotype that even in mexico they think of american vets and i'm like well you guys got a lot of ptsd down there too it's true. globally globally you know i i grew up all over the world my dad was a cultural diplomat for uh, an agency of the government that no longer exists and 
Um, and I saw it. I saw it play out my entire childhood. And so when I was diagnosed with CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder, um, I, I recognized it immediately in myself. I, I couldn't put a finger on what it was until I was diagnosed. But um, tell me about your your journey into that world. Um, what what triggered your your trauma yeah so yeah so to to the, the real quick version like I had a, a poor attachment to my mom as a kid and I, I think that is really um, something that just stays with you for the rest of your life yeah. and then when I was 14 my mom had a stroke and then when I was 15 my dad got cancer mm -hmm. and then he died so and it was just me and my little brother and my mom who became an emotional parasite so there's wow. like a theory that that yeah people who become therapists do that because they're already good at taking care of a parent of theirs emotionally and then um add to that the fact that I just want to figure out what the heck was wrong with me but Oh, can we swear on this show? Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, imagine like I, I spent $200,000 on a doctorate and then I realized that I, I was like trying, using all my stuff on myself. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm still fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did um, private practice for a long time. And then in Connecticut, you have to have like um, in order to qualify for medical marijuana, you you have to have a medical condition or the only psychological condition is PTSD. Right. So I had a couple of my clients ask me to write them a letter and to refer them to a program. And then that's how I actually started doing that. Like and I I started talking to all these people with PTSD and helping them. And then, yeah, it was like I had this guy sitting on my couch in my office and he was describing my symptoms and I was like oh my I got PTSD like I right. just didn't realize that and yeah it wasn't it so illuminating when you finally did get diagnosed it was you know I I outlived my son Cameron he was 11 when he was diagnosed with anaplastic astrocytoma which is a kind of brain cancer that is typically only found in men over 45 and so oh, yeah. for him to have gotten it at 11 was a bit strange. And there are still no answers why he got it. It wasn't environmental. No other kid on the street got it. No other kid at school got it. He was a Waldorf kid. So they were cleaning with non-toxic, you know, cleaners and everything else. He was in great health. Otherwise, you know, we ate whole food. We were kind of, you know, perfect in that way. I did everything right as a single dad. Oh. Um, and, uh. and yet this thing blew up in his head, you know, anaplastic means it grows very, very fast. Astrocytes are these star shaped cells that grab onto everything around them and expand quickly. And Toma is tumor. So, so it's these little star shaped cells that just sort of blow up in your head into a ball of stars. And it's, it was shocking. Um, I had the privilege of being a cancer survivor myself because oh, wow. what that did, different kind of cancer and the kind I had was not uh, uh, transmittable. The kind he got was not hereditary, right? Mm -hmm. But the fact that I walked that path before him eliminated his fear 
and oh, wow. Great. and anger and everything he was certainly entitled to have. And he lived twice as long as they thought he would and lived well um, to 13, which is still a hard age. I mean, any age is hard to lose your kid, but um, but 13 is right on the cusp of, of young adulthood, you know, and, and yeah. it's the year of the bar mitzvah. You know, it's where it's it's the coming of age where your community expects more of you. And so when he transitioned and I was left in an existential crisis, who am I now if not a parent, right? Yeah. My mother used to say, you're an artist if you're making art, right? Well, you're a parent if you're parenting. And if you're no longer parenting, if that's plucked out of the equation, who the fuck am I now, right? So I'm, I've been on this quest to discover that. And wow. I came across, uh, I can't even remember how, but a PCL5 uh, self-evaluation uh, question. Yep. And that changed the game for me because what it did was, uh, uh, it's a psychological sort of self-evaluation around PTSD so that you can mm -hmm. recognize the symptoms in yourself. And actually, if listeners, if you go to the Lost Travelers Club website, losttravelers.club, um, that this podcast is, is, a you know, is a sponsor of, um, you will find a link to a PCL5 questionnaire. If you think you may be walking around with PTSD, or if you're feeling things, things come up, things trigger you, and you have no idea what it is, you're quick to anger, or you you know, can't sleep, or you're narcoleptic, you know? I mean, there are so many different yeah. things that, that come up. Um, this will give you a, a good idea of how intense it is in you and, and the likelihood. It's not a diagnostic tool, because only a professional like David here can, can diagnose, but um, it's a great first step. And that was for me. And I went and I got diagnosed and the tools that are available to us that are diagnosed with PTSD or in my case, CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, there are tools and techniques available to us that are not available to people without. And there are a lot of people out there who are walking around with undiagnosed PTSD. A guy wire is a tensioned cable that is designed to enhance the stability of a freestanding structure. Think of me as your guy wire in terms of life skills mentoring. You're perfectly capable of standing stably on your own two feet, but I'm a cable that can enhance your stability. I'm available for individual or couples counseling, life skills mentorship, child loss grief support, LGBTQ plus support. I can also officiate weddings, end of life ceremonies, baby namings, invocations, or whatever guidance you may need. I serve all genders, all ages. Sessions are affordable, discreet, private, and conducted online. Find me at guy-wire.org. Book your appointment today. 
Henry Cameron, I meet people with horror stories who just never had occurred to them that they have PTSD. And then they'll see doctors or therapists even, and they still think it has to be some kind of life-threatening event, if not going to war. And so, I mean, it's really too bad. Um, and it actually, if if you wouldn't mind me suggesting that your listeners maybe check out my website, because yes. I have a... I, um, I, so the PCL5 is a good tool. It's the standard, but it, I find that it really kind of focuses on the classic symptoms of PTSD. And there's a, there's a lot more to PTSD than is just covered in that, uh, that I found, you know, sure. during my work. For sure. That's yes. the first it's a first step. You know, I think it's an easy first step into that world of, of just beginning to understand. But like you say, it's nuanced, it's layered. There are so many other facets of it yeah i created a, a a like a similar inventory that uh just kind of covers more of how i um have like interpreted ptsd in terms of how other people have it and sometimes people say like oh my god i never thought so and then your your quiz just kept asking question after question that totally right. applied to me right. so yeah it's it's www.doctor banano be bonano, so you, you stress the two ends at the end. B O A. I'll put a link in the description so you don't have yeah, to. Yeah, remember. yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't worry, you don't have to. It'll be a hyperlink. You can go right there. You don't have to remember. But not no. But you know, you know what else I found is there's a lot of people who don't want to see themselves as having PTSD. I mean, my first thought was. Well, oh my gosh, I hope people don't think I'm trying to compare myself to a combat veteran or take anything away from them or anything else, right. you know? Well, that's the main dialogue, isn't it, around combat veterans and, and you know, frontline uh, military personnel who have witnessed carnage, who have been on the front lines of battle and heard the, you know, the horrible explosions and seen everything around them. They used to call it shell shock, right? Um, right. But those of us who experience trauma... I mean, especially I think in my own case, because I can really only speak to my own experience, but when you are on the front lines of your child's disease and their medical condition, you are seeing carnage. You're seeing them scarred, yeah. and cut into, and your their beautiful, perfect head full of, you know, Frankenstein stitches. And I mean, it is shocking and it is uh you know, to live in an environment like a hospital for months and months and months at a time with those horrible smells and lack of support for caregivers, mm -hmm. right? They're there to care for their patients, not their patients' parents. And some hospitals do better than others, granted. Yeah. But most fall way short of what's really required to support caregivers. They're part of the medical team, after all. But mental health still carries with yeah. it great stigma yeah absolutely and then i mean yeah people don't want to think of themselves necessarily as broken or weak and i think in in the united states like we are taught to always like expect the best of ourselves and you know we're always supposed to be living our best lives and we're, we're too tough we don't we don't have time for the pain but sometimes yeah you got to recognize what's going on and 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 once you do have a a framework for understanding that it can be so empowering like the the way that i describe ptsd to people yeah. and this isn't everybody but this isn't everybody but i i think it probably is more likely for cptsd um for sure because you know um henry cameron if you go online and look up ptsd it's the same 
a definition on every website and it's not a definition. It's just a list of symptoms. Totally and, and so if you ask anybody, what is PTSD? There's no convenient memorable, memorable definition. I think what it is, is your fight or flight system is just kind of always on. It's often a healthy response to an unhealthy situation. Right. And you always have a certain amount of adrenaline. So if you always have a certain amount of adrenaline, that's what makes it hard to slow down your thoughts or to relax or to sleep. And oftentimes when I, when I describe it that way, people are like, oh my God, I, that, that's it. Like I, I never knew what it was for me, you know? And, and like I said, it wasn't until 10 years after I became a psychologist that I realized that I actually had PTSD. So it is great when you finally find out what is going on for you. Well, what it opened me up to was the ability to get myself a service dog who really mitigates my triggers. It's awesome, kind of, really? Kind of amazing. I got him when he was three months old. His name is Flat Stanley. And we've been, <laughs> we've been to 14 countries together. Uh, he's going to be seven on Halloween. And, awesome. And when he was three and a half, four months old, we were at the supermarket checking out same supermarket I always went to up in Gloucester Massachusetts and oh, really? yeah and uh and he was just a little pup you know and in Massachusetts a service dog in training has all the same rights and protections under the ADA the Americans with Disabilities Act as a fully trained dog so they can come everywhere with you because they have to know the environment and your rhythms and, and all of that as they're training and he was sitting next to me while we were waiting in line to check out and he leaned all of his weight into my leg. And I thought, oh, he's bonding. But then I was overcome with a panic that I hadn't felt, not that I recognized anyway. It, nothing that I could identify was a threat. I was cold sweating and my heart was racing. I was panting and I was like, I was nauseous. I had to get out of there. And I asked the the checkout person, please hurry, I got to leave. And so they did and got outside and found a bench and sat down and just started bawling. I didn't wow. know why. I did not know why. And Flat Stanley leapt up into my lap and leaned into my heart. And that grounded me. And I felt like wow. he's picking up on something here. And then I realized, David, what it was. It was the rhythmic beep of the scanning of the groceries that was. Oh my gosh. It was the monitors in the hospital where I lived for months wow. with Cameron with his life in the balance. And that feeling of helplessness is a huge trigger for me. And yep. so even just that sound brought me back and, and triggered that emotion in me. But Stanley felt it coming on before it manifested. This is the beauty of service dogs. They have hypersensitivities that we don't even understand. And he yeah. knew that leaning into my leg, it was grounding me. It was like, hold on, here it comes, here it comes. And then when he leapt up and he leaned into my heart, um, I think what I, now in hindsight, it allowed me to slow my breathing, my heart rate. Now we're talking about polyvagal theory. We're talking yep. about right the 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 nervous system that that takes 
takes its own path, right? You don't control it, but it controls everything that you do. And the only part of that system that we have control over is the breath. And if we can slow our breathing, it affects everything else, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. That's so cool. What a great story. I mean, oftentimes I get people asking me to write letters for emotional service animals. And sometimes I'm like, oh, geez, they just want to you know, live in an apartment and, and, you know, break the rules. But, I'm, but, <laughs> but that was a really beautiful example of how he, he was able to help you and, and it was a more aware of your inter internal state than you were. That's really amazing. That's it is so amazing. Cool. And I, and that's not something I could have trained him for. I mean, I, I, yeah, he hadn't lived with me very long, but he picked up on something. That's something he's born with. I don't know if every dog is, but, and he's not an emotional support animal. And, and I think service dogs right. certainly have that quality of emotional support, but a service dog, as opposed to an ESA is a protected under the Americans with disabilities act as essential medical equipment, which mm -hmm. support animals are not. And, okay. Right. And so they don't have, the same rights and privileges as a service dog does. That's a really important distinction to make. Um, where I'm living now has very similar laws now around disability and around what they call assistance dogs here. Um, as the States, the States does it best though, I have to say, in terms of protections and where you can Ooh. take your dog. I think the only places that you're not allowed to go are uh, sterile laboratories and commercial kitchens. Hmm. Right on. Yeah. Wow. Hey, are you like me, always looking for ways to make a positive impact in the world? Well, then join me in sponsoring Desire Child Care Organization. We are a legally incorporated, fully volunteer based organization in Uganda committed to providing essential needs, holistic arts-based education, and a safe family environment to 33 vulnerable children, ages two to 14. Your monthly sponsorship can help improve the lives of these kids toward a better future. Desire Childcare is different from any other charity I know because, well, we have zero administrative overhead. Every penny goes to the kids. And we have a plan toward self-sufficiency through agriculture. So support is temporary. It's kind of like a, a leg up. Visit desirechildcare.org to learn more and get involved. Let's empower and inspire the Desire Kids together. Thanks. I, I, I mentioned before the show, I lost a son as well. And yeah. it's just such a, it's the worst thing that can happen. It's just, and I was, I mean, I, I didn't, I always wondered what would be better, not that it even matters, but like, you know, if you lose somebody slowly to an illness and you can prepare for it and grieve it and, uh, you know, be with the person and say goodbye, or if it just boom happened, um, I did it just happened for us. We didn't get a chance to to say goodbye or anything like that. And it was just uh I mean, yeah, it was hellacious. It was incredible. It was it was so disorienting too, like you were saying, like like you just start to feel like I, I don't even know what makes sense anymore, right? Right. Exactly. You know, people say 
you know, they'll, they'll say things like, oh, it's unnatural or, oh, it's the worst thing that could possibly happen to a person. And I'm sitting here in my trauma, in my grief journey, thinking, well, I cannot say that my experience, as horrific and nightmarish as it was, is worse than somebody who doesn't have children, who loses their partner or their parents, you know, or has a friend gunned down in cold blood or in a horrible accident, or, you know, there are any number of, of scenarios that I could say, but, you know, there's no value in comparing grief. Right. That's, no I totally agree. When I moved up to Gloucester, I was in, in uh, Minneapolis and I moved to Gloucester, Massachusetts about a year after Cameron transitioned because I had to get out of Dodge. I was feeling too many ghosts, you know, uh -huh. and I left a, a very warm and lovely supportive community who held me through that time. But I had to go. They understood why. And I went to a place where I didn't know anybody and it was kind of isolated. I found this apartment. Hmm. In that was near the sea I could hear it through my bedroom window and it was surrounded by beautiful nature greenery pine trees I couldn't see any of my neighbors but over time you meet your neighbors when you're out walking the dogs and you know oh hi I just moved here da, da, da. well it turns out the lady on the left had lost two children oh yeah <laughs> one as an infant to a disease and the other one was mowed down on her bike by a drunk driver when she was 16 oh Across the street, lost a brand new baby to SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. Oh my gosh. Wow. The lady on the right, the family on the right, she backed over her toddler in the driveway and the child. Oh, wow. I mean, it was like one story after another. And I, the first thing I thought was, holy shit, I completed a circle by moving here. Yeah, that's amazing. Me. And every story was harder than the next. I look at them and say, I cannot imagine having a healthy child. Like I say to you, I cannot imagine having a healthy child one day gone the next. What, what kind of shockwave tsunami hits you in that moment? But they look at me and say, I can't imagine helplessly watching your child die for two years without being able to do anything about it. Right. That's its own nightmare, right? So. Like I say, there's no value in comparing, you know, it's like comparing births. Everyone has common factors, but every birth is unique to the people experiencing it. Hmm. Yeah. Do you ever uh, like get signs from Cameron or, you know, like feel? Oh, yeah. We're still a really good team. He yeah. Comes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he comes to me a lot in dreams. Uh, he comes to other people in dreams on my, you know, with a message for me, um, awesome. wow. about three days before he passed, he whispered to me to look for Cardinals as a sign that he was around. Now, I don't oh, know. Wow, yeah. Very, it's a very common thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, actually that's, that's for Noah too. Yeah. Cardinals and other that's birds, right. I have it tattooed on my heart. There's, there's my oh, that's awesome. Cardinal. Um, and so I had one tattooed on my heart because I knew I would be traveling and cardinals only are native to North America. They don't exist anywhere else in the world. And I knew I'd be traveling. So I have it in, on my heart. So that's the first and last thing I see in the mirror every day, right? If I need to put my eyes on a cardinal, it's there. That's nice. Um, but birds in general are messengers very often. Um, I started to tell you before, before, uh, in our conversation, before the, the episode, um, I had this dream 
recently. This is like a month ago. And in this dream, a peregrine falcon swooped down and landed in front of me and looked up at me and said, it's time. <laughs> and I woke up and it was 3 a.m. And I knew exactly what it meant. It, <laughs> it meant that we now have a word like widow or orphan to identify the state of outliving your children. And that word is peregrine. Peregrine. If you go back to huh. the Latin root, um, the, it, the original meaning is stranger in a field, lost traveler, pilgrim, Holy cow, sac sacred wow. journey. I mean, it ticked all the boxes. And the peregrine is native to every continent except Antarctica. So it's a universal symbol. If wow. we start using it, if we start identifying ourselves, then when somebody asks us, oh, do you have any children? You can say, oh, well, I'm a peregrine. And all you have to do is describe what a peregrine is. You don't have to go into your personal, most sacred pain every time, right? I would love within 10 years to open a dictionary and see the word peregrine with the definition uh, next to it yeah. that we're creating here. Um, I, I spell it out on the Lost Travelers Club website. Um, there's a link there to a page that uh, describes that whole, uh, you know, and it just keeps coming. I mean, every corner I turn, there is another awesome. time that it's the right word for us. Um, not everyone has to use it. I'm not going to proselytize about it. You know, there are other words. That no, I think it's great. Starting to use. I think it's an elegant word. It's a, a genderless word. Um, it also contains with it an IAS, E-Y-A-S, which is a nestling. And so in dealing with siblings who have lost their brother or sister. Oh, cool. We can also wrap our wings around them and say, you also have a word, you're an IS, right? Huh. So, so the Lost Travelers Club is developing workshops. I would love to have you join our Fellowship of Fathers, actually. Um, we meet oh. regularly and we have a podcast, the LTC Peregrine Dadcast on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. Um, I'll put a link in the description below as well. Um, okay. But, you know, it's it's amazing. We're not a support group. We're not a healing group because as you and I know, there's really no healing from this. It's a journey. Right. It's a, there are aspects that can be healed in in how we cope. But it's really about enduring it in healthy ways. And so Yeah. You know, I want you to talk about that because I'm I'm really interested in what the heck de-adrenalizing is and where did it come from? How did you come up with it? Um, you know, in your understanding of, of trauma and response uh, beyond it. All right, great. Uh, hey, can we just that. take, can we take a quick little break? Because last night I was reading a book to my daughter and my wife had given us uh, these like for Easter one year, these little stones that you could rub if you were worried or whatever. And I've yes, been worried yes. about something lately. And so as I was reading it to her, the rock fell off the shelf and hit me in the foot. Oh. And I was like, oh yeah, thanks Noah. Like it, it's like 
stuff like that, you know? Like, yes. so I yes. just want to go get that rock. I'll be right back. <laughs> oh, go get the rock. <laughs> yeah, here it is. Uh, oh, very so cool. cool. Yeah. Actually, is that um, like a, a, a bunch of rocks, like, glued together? I mean, I it's all... Listeners can't see so. it, but he's holding up an o an oval stone crystal that's got stripes through it of all different colors, like a rainbow. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I'm gonna keep it with me. Uh, like a worry stone, because yeah, like I love how you said we're 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 still a good team, and and that's how I feel. I feel like Noah is my spirit guide, and. Uh, he's he's here to help us and including myself and i feel like he graduated i mean you know i could think i mean i could feel bad for myself i don't really feel bad for him because every time he comes through like if we see a medium he'll say like i'm doing great <laughs> exactly well you like, know that i i say that all the time because he was 13 right he had not crossed over into high school yet and Part of me at first, which I think we all do feel sorry for ourselves and for good reason. We, you know, we should, yeah. Kids. Uh, I don't like using the word lost because they're not like a set of keys, you know. We know exactly where they are. They're not really lost. They're there. They just live inside us now instead of outside our bodies. That's how I look at it. Again, yeah. I know I understand that language is nuanced and and people turn to the words that they know and they recognize. Sponsorship and listener support of the Lost Traveler podcast benefits the Lost Travelers Club, a volunteer-operated charitable foundation under United Charitable, a 501c3 public charity. Peregrine is the proper noun we now use to describe a parent who endures the loss of their beloved child, forever carrying their memory and embarking on a lifelong journey of grief, resilience, and hope. The Lost Travelers Club provides programs, resources, and empowerment opportunities for peregrines globally who are navigating their grief journey. Parents of child loss, getting there together. You can support this important work by becoming a sponsor of this podcast or visiting www.losttravelers.club for more information or to make a donation. Thanks for listening and for your continued support. Another thing that the Lost Travelers Club is developing right now is a Lost Traveler Field Guide, which is a new lexicon for the grief journey. And so to find oh, nice. helpful language that we can start developing to, to break through the stagnation of, of grief and mourning, which I think are two different things, grief and mourning. Um, oh, wow. You know, yeah, these so? big, big thoughts. Well, you know, <laughs> another dream I had, I've had very productive dream, and I don't want to be the one talking this whole time, but thank you. <laughs> um, I, I had another dream recently where it completely played out in my head like a Netflix series. And it was, it's now becoming, because I've, I've written it now, and uh, it's, it's a, a series called The Lost Traveler, Exploring the Quantum Dimensions of Grief. Of which, oh, yeah. in this dream, I've identified 12 distinctive phases and dimensions of grief. And the first one is zero dimension. 
right? If you know anything about quantum theory, quantum physics, that's the big bang moment, right? That's where the, your whole world explodes out wow, yeah, right. from nothing into the big mystery of all time. And that that's what it feels like when you go through that experience of, of the death of a child. Um, yep. Right. And so how do you navigate that? And so that first from that first big bang zero uh, dimension, you start to emerge into the first dimension, which is a singularity. It's one plane. There's no up. There's no down. There's no depth or width. Right. It's just one dimensional. That is the morning phase. That is a passive phase. You can't do anything with morning, but sit in it like a puddle. Mm -hmm. right? Nobody can talk to you. Nobody can, you can't hear anything. It's like a tsunami has, has just knocked you out, right? Yeah, and totally. You've got to sort of float through it until the water subsides a little bit. And then you start getting into the second dimension where you start to feel okay, I'm starting to understand now the emotions around this and starting to see it in other people around me and the way they react mm -hmm. to my grief and their own grief, right? You start to become yeah. aware of that. And then there's three dimensions, right? Where you start to interact with that world and, and there's height and depth and width. You're starting to sort of become yourself. And there's a very thin membrane in that liminal space between mourning and grieving. But mourning, I think of as a temporary passive state. Grieving is a permanent and active state. And that's why I created the Lost Travelers Club. It's not a healing organization, but it's a, an empowerment organization to bring peregrines together from all over the world to channel our grief into service or channel our grief into goodness in the world in honor of our children so that we reignite a sense of purpose in our lives and we can then move forward, right? That's fourth dimension where you're moving through time and space to a point B, right? So that's really where this, this begins, this journey of what do I do with this now? Well, that's fucking awesome, Hammy. Henry Cameron, that's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, brother. I think so too. I'm excited about it. You know, I don't hear anybody talking about this, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're right. People don't talk about this very much. As a matter of fact, the only book I've ever read about grief that I really liked, I mean, you know, there's Elizabeth Kubler Ross, but yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. really kind of people misinterpreted her her stuff. And yeah. anyway, um, so I looked one time I looked up just for the hell of it, a psychologist named Bonanno. There's this guy named George Bonanno in New York City, and he wrote this awesome book on grief. It's called The Other Side of Sadness. Have you heard of that? No. Is he a relation? I don't think so. I emailed him, and he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Bonanno <laughs> like, no, is we... not a very common name. Yeah, right. No, I, um, so another one thing I talk about with people in terms of grief, or and I really do like your uh, um distinction between grieving and mourning but um there's clean pain and dirty pain yeah so clean pain is like yeah the sadness and you really miss them and it's just really you know the overwhelming sadness where dirty pain is everything else like uh anger 
guilt, uh, resentment, even confusion and anxiety. And I think dirty pain is really what keeps us stuck. And so that's what I do with my therapy when I'm treating grief is I help people to, um, to kind of like, so, so what the, the, the therapy is involves eye movement and it's based on EMDR, but it's much, much more effective than EMDR because with EMDR, it's really whatever you focus on, you magnify and EMDR, you just have to continually relive your worst moments again and again. We have listeners in 43 countries. They may not understand what EMDR is. Can you explain just a little bit about that? Oh, sure. So yeah, it stands for eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. And what the client does is they move their eyes back and forth or some kind of bilateral stimulation, which could include like tapping or or whatever. And the idea started in like 1980. So it has been like 40 something years uh, with Francine Shapiro. And she found that when you're moving your eyes back and forth, it's really um, very regulating of your whole nervous system. And what what I think it does is it really helps you to interface directly with your subconscious brain. So, you know, like most therapy, talk therapy, for example, they're, yes, they are having you relive your worst stuff because the idea is that you're supposed to be releasing your pain as you talk about it. I think you're rehearsing your pain, at least after a while. And so then eye movement therapy really helps the person to um, access their subconscious it's not so you know in my book uh, which is called your brain is a robo cat because part of your brain is a robot and it's totally logical but the other part of your brain is your emotional fight or flight system and that's completely involuntary and it's automatic and it's kind of like a cat because you know you can't get cats to do what you want and so um i i believe that most talk therapy in including emdr interfaces with that that robot part of your brain, that logical part of your brain, too much. And when it comes to PTSD, that has nothing to do with logic. So, you know, like I've had, I had an abusive mother. I've had therapists tell me, well, you know, the woman that you're with now is not your mother. So you shouldn't be having this reaction. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. What am I still doing on your couch? You know? Um, So so with my therapy, one of the things we do is we talk about clean pain and dirty pain, and the people are, are really able to just let go of the dirty stuff and to get in touch with their sadness. And I think that's really important because, you know, the thing about sadness, you don't want to feel it. It's, it, it you're, you're powerless when you are feeling it. And when you're angry, for example, or even guilty, you're living in an alternate reality and you're thinking to yourself, well, it shouldn't be this way. It should be this way, or this shouldn't happen. And you're kind of shooting all over yourself and you're not accepting reality. So I think that's the real key is if you can be sad and grieve um, the, the stuff that's the shit that we all have to deal with, then you are, yes, in a way, um, having to admit that you're powerless, but at least you can accept reality and move on from it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> move on Move on is a good way to describe it. You know, it's, it's a moving through. There's no destination. It's a process. This is going to be with us for the rest of our living days. 
right? And, right. Good, good and acceptance is is key. And to accept for, I think that's really um, the first breakthrough that I experienced was the acceptance that it had happened because it's so dreamlike and bizarre and numbing and um, it takes a while for it to, to connect that this is what happened. Yeah. And it's your first night alone at home after the coroner has taken the body or, or, you know, they've been buried or cremated or whatever, however they're, they're, uh, I hate to use right. the word disposed of, but you know what I mean? It's like they, when they're <laughs> no longer, when the shell is no longer under your roof, um, there's that sort of, and, and it was very similar in hindsight to the first moment I had with Cameron when he was an infant, the first moment that we had alone together. Oh, wow, yeah. Right, it was that same kind of sacred space of what the fuck do I do now? Who am I now and who do you need me to be? And I ask him the same question, who do you need me to be on the other side? That's cool. Right? Yeah. Because I, and that's that's that living in honor of our kids. They're able to live through us. People are meeting Cameron through me. And he's awesome. so much with us. He's not resting in peace. He's very busy, this kid. <laughs> um, yeah, when Noah died, I called my friend who's a therapist. And she was saying, you know, like, okay, you need to be, she's kind of like um, orienting me. She was saying, this is a, this is the big one. And that that was kind of weird because yeah, of course it's a big one, but I, that really like shook uh, came through the haze, and I was like, oh yeah, this yeah, this is what's going on. It did happen, and now I have to be there for my family. But yeah, isn't that something? It's so like disorienting, and I think that's another thing about trauma is if you can't make sense of it for yourself in whichever way that you do i mean including your spirituality or whatever if you can't make sense of something then you're going to still feel like well what the hell else is going to happen in my life and you're not going to have that sense of safety that we need to have as illusory as it may be but i'll just give you an example like i had a a veteran who got uh, shot and wounded in afghanistan um, but he came back home and he was pretty much okay. I mean, it, it made sense. There were good guys and bad guys and he wasn't there anymore. But then he uh, bought a house and became best friends with his neighbor. And then that guy drugged him and raped him. And so, right. So that doesn't make any sense to him at all. So he is fucked. You know, I mean, like he saw me, we did some really good work together, but that's just kind of one example. Like if you can't make sense of why things happen, I mean, then you're, you're just going to be waiting for the next tragedy, I guess. And, and you're not, you're going to be in that state of hypervigilance. Um, you know, when you drive home from work, you have to believe you're going to get there because if you're freaked out and looking at every little hazard in the road, that's not going to help you a bit. But that's what the, that's what we can't control in those triggers. We don't know when those triggers are going to hit out of the blue, right? And and derail us. We don't know when those tsunamis are going to come up behind us and knock us over, knock the wind out of us, right? Uh, and disorient. Yeah. 
Greetings, greetings, greetings. I'm Queen B. Divine. The cure is conversation. And where can you find me? At bluntreflections.com, where I will be talking to guests from around the world that not only share their time, but their insights and their tips on how they became the best version of who they were meant to be. So if you're looking for a great story and a great time, check me out at bluntreflections.com. The cure is conversation. And remember, blase, blase means to tell your story. So how do you, how do you, with this, this therapy, how do you mitigate that? Well, yeah. So in terms of being blindsided, um, you do have to just let it wash over you you have to stop what you're doing and get but you know then again give yourself like a time limit i say like because if you were to over grieve then you're not doing yourself a service either so like one thing i'll do is like if i'm having a crappy day like oh well it's a crappy day i'm not going to try to work too hard today um but i might just also give myself like two hours i'm going to feel like i'm going to feel shitty until four o'clock and then i'm going to go for a walk or something like that you know um and then the question that you asked about my therapy it's so comforting and when somebody's eyes are moving you can see the the shifting that's going on inside of them and they're really um healing themselves so it's like i don't or who, who have massive results like right away um it's it's that they i'm creating the conditions for them to to cure themselves so basically what you what you do is you have them remember one time what was traumatic they do not have to talk about it which a lot of people love and then you you do a lot of other stuff but you have them pretend that something else happened so that and that is a emdr term called rescripting. Right. but as you're doing that you're really just kind of replacing the associations that you have that are so painful with something else. And so if I could give you another example, like I had a, a client who um, she was molested as a, as a girl and she was five and she, uh, I, that's all I know. And so I didn't even want to know any more than that. Um, and then she, she had repressed it for years and then when she was like 25, she was having sex with her boyfriend and something just clicked and it brought it all back. And like a, yeah, like a tsunami, like she was not in control of that at all. And so she started drinking, she lost her job, she lost her boyfriend. And then she came to see me. And I know this is going to sound too good to be true, but this only took one session. I had her remember what happened. And then it, when it came time for her to... Uh, rescript the whole thing she imagined she had super strength and that she threw the person across the room and he never touched her again and and then she it, it just like her whole demeanor changed from the beginning of the session to the end we were like laughing about and and um that's the opposite of being terrified you know and right. so it really uh is just unbelievable i I'm, i've been a client myself i have people that do it to me i i for example after noah died for three days, all I could do was stare into space and see his body and hear my wife screaming and, and remember what his body felt like all cold and everything like that. And, and, and then I was like, Oh, I gotta, 
I got to do stuff about this. So I had actually created an app, Henry Cameron, that can that has a ball that moves back and forth. And unfortunately, it never came to fruition. I, I um, had some Dude, disagreements with this my this is our partners. boys. This is our boy. I'm convinced that they're conspiring to talk because I am developing an app right now called My Tsunami. And it is for peregrines to it'll have a it'll have a panic button, right? When when the when you feel it coming on, but the fact that it's my tsunami, that means you take ownership and control over it. And I've been looking for somebody to work with me on this thing to get get other techniques in there to, you know, the ball going back and forth and other portals, you know. Yeah. First, it starts with bringing your your vagus system into harmony through your breath, uh-huh. right? And that's the panic button. It brings you into a breathing exercise to get you to that point of harmony. And then uh-huh. move on to the next exercise and work with what you're talking about. I This is, I mean, come on. What are the, what are the, yeah, apps? right. What are the, you're right. It, <laughs> yeah, we got to talk about this more. We got to talk about um, this more. This is proprietary. Yeah. So nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I so I I just imagine that Noah went off to college and maybe he'll come back someday, mm-hmm. and I just pictured him like driving away in his car, and then I didn't have any more of those intrusive thoughts or images ever again. So yeah, that's yeah we we got to talk about this. <laughs> I mean, we've got a lot of good stuff. I know we're going to stay in touch. This is thrilling. Um, yeah. You know, this whole idea, this is a, a, a really healthy way, I think, of thinking about this, especially when they're younger, when they're in their teens, right? Noah was 19 on his way to college. Cameron was 13 on his way to high school. And what what I somehow, I don't even know how, but I decided to think of it as he graduated early. Yeah. Graduated early. And you know what? He didn't have to go through fucking high school. He didn't have to go through his first heartbreak, right? He didn't have to go through that first shitty job with a shitty asshole boss, you know, (laughs) all that stuff that you go through in your adolescence. He got to pass go, collect his $200, and he's still around, right? Because if you look, getting back to the, the quantum picture here, we know now that everything is frequency. Your frequency, uh-huh. frequency, your headphones, my laptop, that lamp, my service dog, everything is frequency, right? And frequency can't uh-huh. be created. It can't be destroyed. It just transmutes. It doesn't die. And yeah. so if we start there. You talk about through through these, these exercises, changing the script, re-scripting. We can re-script death itself. And we can say, right. hey, man. It's not real. They lied. It was never real. Death is an illusion. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's up to us who are here in the physical still. We haven't transmuted. Our our frequency has not changed its form. But theirs has. And it's up to us to figure out on our great cosmic radio how to adjust the dial to tune into whatever frequency they're operating at now. And I believe that's it's awesome. Because I'm an example of it. I live with it every day. I do that. If I can't find that frequency, I am more prone to triggers. I know uh-huh. that. 
I'm more open to triggers. But because I have figured out how to tap into that frequency, and this is a deeper conversation and, and a deeper study, I think, which is very worthy uh, of, of looking into scientists out there who are listening to this podcast. Um, I think that if we start to understand the power that we have in this meat bag walking around the earth, <laughs> right? That that that's not the the sum of all of our parts. There are all these other qualities that we have that that are our consciousness that does not die. Um, and what does that mean for for ideologies like reincarnation, right? Yep. Frequency that's transmuted into a different form. And and so there's there is definitely that the, the whole um what's it called epigenetics uh science mm -hmm. is emerging um is showing that we carry ancestral memory in our very genetic makeup in our DNA. And so the memories that we have, either of past lives or in our dream state, they could be ancestral memories and not our own. Yeah. Necessarily, mm -hmm. right? Right. I, I used to uh, think, I used to be a little self-conscious when I would talk this way with my clients, thinking like, oh, this guy. I bring it up all the time now and people seem to be so much more amenable to it than they were before. And if I ask them like, yeah, do you ever see signs from your the person you lost? They're like, oh yeah, all the time. Oh, it's great. Yeah. And you no, know, love, yeah, they're not. And people will say, oh, you know, it's just a bird, but they're, they can't say that, you know, you feel it, you feel, and that's real. There's no scientist on the planet that can tell you what the difference is between a dream state and a waking state. They can't tell you Absolutely. what this is. Are we dreaming when we're dreaming or is that reality? And this is the dream or nightmare as the case may be, right? It, it, there's a lot of wiggle room there in interpretation. I want to ask you about something that I experience. I don't know if you do, but I think it's part of my, uh, my, challenge with PTSD is that for a number of years I've been experiencing sleep paralysis oh wow and it's a feeling that you're you're very vividly in your dream state and you are aware in your dream state that you are in your dream uh -huh. and it's time to wake up and you cannot you can't open your eyes, you can't move your body, you're awake, you're lucid in your dream, but you can't break through. At first, it was very, very frightening because I didn't know if I was in a coma, I didn't know if I had died. Yeah. It was all this, all these scenarios as I'm dreaming, playing all around in my head. Wow. Until I, I woke up finally and, and was able to break through it, and then it happened again, and then it happened again, and again, and again, usually around milestones. I don't call them anniversaries because huh. anniversaries are to be celebrated. You know, it's a different feeling. A milestone is heavy. It carries the weight. And it's a marker, right, of time. And so, like, around birthdays and holidays and, you know, school, all that stuff. 
are when I'm more prone. And I know it's coming. I know that date is coming. And usually it's the like the week before where I feel more, you know, like the tsunami's coming, that foreboding sense. Then the day arrives and I I cope with it as best I can. Most of the time I stay at home under my covers. I don't get up, but I, you know, I let the dog out to pee, but that's about it. Uh, but then once the day is over, I'm fine till the next one. Yeah. At first it was horrible, but then I realized for myself that it was actually my body protecting me from triggers. If I am in a dream state, I don't have to go through a waking state trigger. And if something Ooh. comes up in my dream state, I have the capacity to change that moment in my dream. You know, I pull a magic wand out of the sky and turn that monster in a cup, get to a cupcake or something, you know. Uh, I could do yeah. whatever I want in my dream state. And so I have more control in my dream state over the trigger than I would and and it's less emotionally damaging than it would have been had I been in a wakeful state. So I think it's part of the vagus system, the dorsal uh, vagal uh, system protecting me. What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Do you experience it? Yeah. To some degree, but uh, not not that much. Um, I I yeah, that's a good point. Science cannot describe dreaming or meditation or mindfulness or hypnosis or my therapy either and that's one of the reasons why experiential therapies like mine are, are they don't just people just don't even know how to um, assimilate that into their worldview they just they don't know how to make sense of it and you know cognitive behavioral therapy is most studied because it's most easily studied i mean that's the only reason <laughs> so yeah that's a really good point um i I do. Yeah. So what is the purpose of dreams? Like, you know, I used to always be looking for a message and sometimes I would get a message. Sometimes it's just a whole lot of noise. Um, I don't know if there's a purpose to it, but I think your theory is, is very good one. Um, you are kind of protecting yourself and it is, you know, I think it's kind of comforting how your subconscious will lead you to where you need to go. Like that, uh, panic attack or, or the, the tsunami that hits you in the grocery store. Um, I think it happens more often for people who over compartmentalize. I mean, we all have to compartmentalize. Otherwise, we'd be feeling everything all the time. But the people who are really more in touch with their feelings and they, they try to go through life with their eyes wide open, I, I think it doesn't happen now I'm kind of talking about panic attacks. So I'm not necessarily talking about you at all. But um, we are, we have to kind of keep it together in order to survive and, and even thrive. And then once in a while, yeah, you get hit with that tsunami and it's something that you have to feel, you have to go through and your body or your subconscious or whatever is leading you through that. And it's kind of a beautiful thing. And then I don't know about you, but when I do hit, get hit with a tsunami afterwards, I'm, I just, for whatever reason, I'm overcome with gratitude. That's the, that's the, that's what hits me. That's right. You, you get through it. You get through it. Oh, you know, when people come and they put their hand on my arm and say, Oh, Henry, you're only human in my head. I'm screaming, 
fuck you. I'm saying, <laughs> you go through what I've been through and then come yeah, yeah. <laughs> being human. We are superhuman, us peregrines. We are superhuman to endure what we have to endure in a way that nobody else can understand unless they've been through it. It's like losing an eye, right? You can yep. pop glass eye in, you can look at somebody and know, not know what they've been through, what trauma they've been through. We put on a good face, right? We put in our glass eye, but that eye will pop out any second. And <laughs> we are unbeknownst to everyone else in the room. We're looking through a completely different lens. We're looking from a different perspective at the world. And that's why I'm bringing peregrines together because we are all one-eyed peregrines. You know, we all are looking through the that's world a through a particular lens. I kind of do something with that one-eyed peregrine. Okay, our new our new uh, mascot is going to be a peregrine with an iPad. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I I think that that you're right on. I think that that we have to pat ourselves on the back when we get through every single tsunami, when we have survived it. And a lot of it for me has been remembering that I float. Remember awesome. that when the tsunami hits, all you've got to do is lay back and let the water carry you, you know, because, awesome. because what happens is that tsunami comes from behind unexpectedly and we do panic. It is a panic. Attack, yes. Right. And what happens when somebody panics, you start grabbing onto every rock and every twig and every branch that's in the water and you're flailing and you're trying. And what are the chances you're going to get hurt or, or worse? They're very, yeah, right. Right. If you're tensed up and panicky, you're going to get hurt. But if you lean back, like if you're in a white water raft, right? And you get knocked out of the boat. The first thing they tell you is relax and let the water carry you because it'll carry you all around those boulders and you'll, you'll get to calmer waters. And so if we know, if we can trust in ourselves, trust ourselves and trust the process and trust that we can float that we will get through this tsunami and it'll bring us to calmer waters and solid land eventually. Um, I think I think that's an important reminder for anybody, whether yes. it's a peregrine or whether it's somebody who's had another trauma. Maybe they were a military, you know, combat veteran. Um, you know, God forbid anybody should go through anything that any of us goes through. We can't compare. We can't say that that our experience is better or worse or theirs is better or worse. We have to stop comparing grief. We have to yes. stop comparing PTSD and just say that it is unique to the person experiencing it. And the message of the day is trust yourself. Are you tired of feeling run down? Do you wish there was a natural, non-invasive, drug-free way to improve your overall health and well-being? If so, then let me introduce you to the Super Patch Company. Super Patches are a range of small neurotech patches that can help with a variety of issues, including sleep, immunity, pain mitigation, athletic performance, focus, anxiety, and stress. They're safe for everyone to use, and they're backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Order your super patches today. 
now available in the EU, UK, Turkey, Canada, and the US. If you're ready to take control of your health, you can find out more online at dianedinkmeyer.superpatch.com. Super Patches. There's a patch for that. That's beautiful, and I totally agree with that. So many people are afraid that the emotions are just going to overwhelm them and as if they're going to die from heartbreak or whatever. But that that's one of the things that that George Bonanno book talks about is, is resilience. I mean, people have been losing people ever since we've been around and we're, we're, we're geared Children. for resilience. But yeah, but of course, you, you can't get around it. You got to go through it. And um, yeah, I, I think that's that's a great way to look at it for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then, yeah, like, so I, I completely agree with you, too. It just makes no sense to compare yourself and your pain to anybody else's. But in terms of the commonalities, yes. um, you know, I've so I've personally talked to over 10,000 people with PTSD. And it's weird how the symptoms are really quite similar. Like somebody who got molested, for example, might have the exact same symptoms as a combat veteran. Or like I myself, I've never been physically assaulted or like ambushed or anything, but my startle response, response is through the roof. I mean, if somebody, you know, jumps out and scares me, like I've almost killed people and it's, I, but that's not based on a direct experience. It's just that it, the symptoms really do seem to converge no matter what the million different, co- billion different causes are out there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it's, what your group is about, right? I mean, the commonality, right? It's all about finding the common ground. It's all about finding the common ground. I had, I'm going to, we're going to call this one a special because it's going a little over an hour. I uh, can't believe it's time it flies, you know, it, it's. Yeah, it's, seriously. And, and we'll come back and do a part two at some point for sure. Um, Great. But I want to, I want to, a couple things. First, what I do in every episode this season, I'm in my fourth season now, is I ask every co-host of that episode to oh, yeah. come up with a question for the next co-host. You might, have yeah, heard, right. you might have heard me say that before. So I have yeah. a question for you to answer. And then I want you to think of a question while I'm telling you a story. Um, I don't know. Should I tell you the story first or should I ask you the question first? Oh, um, I don't know. <laughs> How about tell the story? <laughs> so it's another, it's another fucking dream. Okay. I've been very productive. <laughs> So yeah. I had this dream. It was a very vivid, vivid, realistic, cinematic dream. And I was sitting on a boulder at a crossroads. And off to the left, there was a straight and narrow path. It was lined with these charred, broken trees. They looked like broken umbrellas to me, right? Just to paint the picture. And beyond, there was this dark, menacing, inky black forest. And emanating from the forest were these screams of terror and and despair. And I knew that that's where the path that I had been walking, right? But here I am. The other road went downhill. It was very lumpy and bumpy. There were stones and boulders and these moss-covered rocks. And so it was slippery. And there were you know, flowers strewn about. There was light shining through, dappled light. And it was actually kind of pretty. And it went downhill to this huge uh, crevice, like a like an abyss, like a canyon, kind of. It wasn't that far across, but 
it was interesting and it was very, very different from the other path. And I'm sitting there thinking about which way do I go? Which way do I go? And this mystic shows up and asks me, so what's, what's the problem, lamb? Called me lamb. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> and I said, I, I have these two paths and I don't know quite which way I should go. You know, I recognize that one to the left, to the forest, been there, done that. And I don't want to go back there. But this other one looks very dangerous and treacherous. But there's this silver city off in the distance on the other side of the, the canyon that I want to get to, this shining, beautiful place. And I said, but I, I'm not sure. It looks really precarious and I could get hurt. And the mystic said, trust yourself. Mm -hmm. And I looked to the left and to the right again and looked up and the mystic was gone. And those words just echoed in my head. And I knew which way I had to go. I had to take the risky one. I could take a great narrow path to the darkness, to the stagnation and despair. But I, did, I knew I had to take the risk. So I got down the path finally and I fell and I got bruised and bloodied and I made it finally down to the bottom, sore. And I looked off to the right and left and it was as far as the eye could see. There was no bridge across this ravine, <clears throat> no way across. It wasn't that far, but it was just that far that I did. And there was, it was bottomless. I couldn't, I couldn't see the bottom of it. And then I realized that there were hundreds of other people there with me and they were freaked out. They didn't know what to do. And they were nervous and they were crying and they were shaking with fear. Wow. And what I realized in that moment was, but they're here and they took that path too. They took the risky path and we've come to this ravine and all we've got to do is make our way across it. So I beckoned them to take hands with me. And on the count of three, we're going to jump. If we plummet, we plummet together. But let's let's at least try to make it across. I counted to three. We all took a deep breath and we we leapt. And you know, wow. when you're on a roller coaster and it goes down the hill and your stomach's up in your throat for a second. That's what it felt like. But then we started to fly. Awesome. It was awesome. And once we sort of realized what was happening, that we could fly, that we didn't need a bridge to get across, right? We started doing loop-de-loops and hooping and hollering and laughing. And the laughter that came out of us was the laughter of our children. They weren't gone. They weren't lost. Awesome. They were in us. They were us. They lived in our hearts. They lived in our laughter. And once we realized that, we descended down to the ground and we started walking together toward this beautiful city. That was the dream. Shadow and Light LLC was established by Dave Roberts and Reverend Patty Farino, co-authors of When the Psychology Professor Met the Minister. 
Their mission is to empower individuals to transcend life's challenges by integrating spiritual practices with psychology to achieve peace. They are available for individualized spiritual counseling, virtual or in-person book club meetings, or presentations and workshops to universities, organizations, and other interested groups. For further information, visit psychologyprofessorandminister.com. That's wonderful. <laughs> That's Tell me that wasn't team. like, you know, sent. I mean, that was a vision. That was a that was a very, very special uh game-changing moment for me, especially since the peregrine had already visited me and Kate gave us that word. Um, the Lost Travelers Club, you know, manifested. The Fellowship of Fathers. We're also working on a, a, a mama ship circle. Um, <laughs> you know, the podcast, the Peregrine Dadcast, um, it, it's all sort of effortlessly coming together. And, and it feels like this is an important message for all of us that our, the death is the illusion that for all of us, it's an illusion. We're all going to leave this, this meat bag behind. Right. And then what? Mm -hmm. So, so to recognize that, to understand it to the degree that we can, because a lot of it's a mystery and to realize that we have superhuman abilities to fly mm -hmm. together through this. And I want to start, I, I want to do some retreats for peregrines. I want to develop travel excursions so that we can step powerfully back into the world amongst people who get it. People who can look yeah. single eye, right? Um, yeah. So anyway, what do you think of that? Well, I'm glad that you didn't take the other path and go into the forest and just be a bitter asshole. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, no, hey, that's so... Do what everybody can, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I can do that. Um, it, I mean, yeah, that's, that's just such a great dream that really seems to encapsulate what you're going through. And I mean, yeah, to, to share this with other people is, is such a gift to be able to do that. And you seem like you're great at it. I'd like to get into uh, doing more like speaking and uh, retreats and workshops and all that stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that that's uh, that's an, a beautiful dream. And that's another great thing about dreams, isn't it? It's not just that you think it and it makes logical sense. It's like you resonate with it. You vibrate with it. You're on that frequency. Exactly. And there's no higher frequency than another. That's just it. The frequency, there's no hierarchy, right? There are all these people who are all about the higher consciousness. You got to rise, you know, and raise your chakras. Yeah. Which, bless them, I think, you know, that's no judgment, no diss against them. But I also think that there's one frequency, period. And that frequency is love. And if we all are operating on that frequency... Right. And what is love? Awesome. Love is when I look into your eyes and I want to see you peaceful. To me, that's love. Right. It is yeah. that our eyes are set the way they are, human beings, in a way that we can't see our own faces. We require other faces to reflect back to us who we are. 
that's just how we're built. Absolutely. That's how we're built. Yeah. And that frequency is love. And so if we just get that alone and operate out of love, wanting to see peace in the other person, that's basically what namaste is, right? But there's uh, no higher, higher or lower frequency, I don't think. Yeah, and when people do talk like that, I, I, I often get frustrated because if I can't do it, then I feel guilty or bad or defective. And then that brings me to a lower frequency than I was before I started. I mean, what, what they sound like to me is like, oh, all you got to do is just raise your frequency and, uh, and be happy or whatever. That, that sounds to me like somebody who's saying like, oh, well, if you want to be wealthy, all you have to do is just have a lot of money. And like so just do it you know like and I, I don't i don't get it and and uh, you know we could talk forever like i was going to say the worst book i ever read was the, the power of positive thinking because oh. i couldn't do it <laughs> i couldn't do it and then it made me feel worse I, I was already in a world of shit when i read that and it made me feel worse um i in fact i even um i have a commitment at 3 30 so I oh, have to, uh... we'll wrap up okay i'm gonna ask you this question and i want you to answer it and i want you to ask Another question. So we have just enough time to do that. Um, this question is for you. How do you define the word future? Future? Future. <laughs> great question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, I guess po possibilities. Um, and, you know, you're not. I think if you live in the future too much, you're really not present. And um, I, I would say like, uh, it's kind of like, a, it's just possibilities. I don't want to say it's an illusion because it often is what, what we think is going to happen rarely does. But uh, I, I guess I would have to say just possibilities. I don't know if that's really deep. <laughs> hey, no, it is, but it is. You, know, you want to know the way I answered it real quick? Yeah, yeah. It's a place, it's a point in time and space that only lives in the imagination. Yeah, right, yeah. Which is essentially what you're saying. It's it's only, it's it's not a, a, a real place. It, it's not manifest yet. It doesn't exist, right? Except in your imagination. And the past as well, right? You may have gone through a trauma and you have your imagination of your memory of it. And somebody who experienced was in the room with you has a completely different memory of it. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Totally. So it, the past only lives in your imagination. The future only lives in your imagination. What's real is this moment. That's it. And everything in your biography has prepared you for this conversation and me. Right. If we were meant to be in a different conversation with somebody else, we would be. Period. So there's fate. Yep. Fate. Yep. Absolutely. Just like how you just like how you moved to Gloucester. That was incredible. Oh, incredible. The whole thing is incredible. I, I wake up every day just grateful. And how many millions of people around the world do not wake up the next day, right? We're the lucky ones. We're the lucky yeah, ones. Right. So what's your question, real quick, for the next co-host, intuitively? You can't tell me who that is, right? Like, in terms of what... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to intuit. Right, right. Okay. Uh, um. I, I guess, uh, how about, uh, how does healing happen? Psychological healing, how, how, what's going on there? What is it? 
<laughs> what is psychological healing and how does it happen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. I'm excited to hear what they say. Dr. David Bonanno, my brother, my fellow peregrine. I am I'm so happy to meet you. I feel like I made a new friend today. And yeah, we're, we're gonna keep this ball rolling, brother, because we got a pot, we got an app to create, we got we got a retreat to plan. We got some good good work to do together. I feel. Yeah, I got work to do. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna put awesome. um, I'm gonna put a link to your book. Um your brain is a robo cat how to finally understand your trauma response in the uh the the description i'll also put a link to your website so that people can take your questionnaire um that takes things to a whole other level i want to go and take that ex as well and see how yeah how i stack up <laughs> but thank you thank <laughs> you for this time and uh it's really a, a pleasure to meet you brother it sure was. Yeah, thank you, Henry Cameron. I, I loved it. And uh, yeah, this was great. This was great. Thanks. You've been listening to season four of the Lost Traveler podcast with Henry Cameron Allen. Visit me online at henryallen.org. Thank you to my guests and thank you for tuning in. Let's keep striving for a better world together.